Hello and welcome to another episode of the New Model Advisor podcast. I'm Ollie Smith, online producer at NMA, and this week I'm delighted to say I'm joined in the studio by Rachel Vey, who is Product Technical Manager at Nucleus, the platform company. Hello Rachel, thanks for joining us. Hello Ollie. I gather you have a cold. I do, I'm a um, bit poorly, a bit poorly, yes. We've all been there, so it happens, we will persist. Um, now, you're a pensions and savings expert, but just stepping yes. outside that space for a second, I wanted to ask you who's hot and who's not this week? You can say either hot or not, depending on your opinion. I think who's not is probably going to be um, either TSB um, or Visa, and probably Visa, I think, wins it this week. They seem to have uh, created a complete and utter meltdown um, amongst most people over the weekend. So do you think the Visa systems meltdown, which I might add for listeners at home, meant that uh, uh, millions of people across the UK and Europe were unable to pay for goods and services, uh, do you think that's worse Uh, than the TSB one. Which is bigger? I think if you're looking at the most immediate effect of this week, then I would have said it was Visa and what happened. But obviously, I'm not sure you can actually compare and and contrast. I think they're both indicative, um, maybe, of of the way that we live our lives. I think that's probably the more frightening thing and how much reliance we all have now on IT and the fact that uh, Friday, was it Friday's disaster spent, you know, put so many people into a tailspin at the fact that they couldn't actually go and get any money. They didn't know how to survive if they didn't have yeah. the, you know, the, the contactless working and they weren't unable to do anything. And we seem to have lost uh, any connection maybe to just mm. cash in hand. Yes. I thought that was probably very interesting as well. But also our reliance on it all and our, the, the trust that we have to have in these financial institutions um, to, to do what they say they're going to do and when they're going to do it and how much from now we, we rely on them. Are you a TSB customer? I'm not, okay. no, but I have seen, obviously I watched when Twitter exploded and I think if I was a <laughs> TSB customer, I would have said TSB. Yes. Visa now facing an investigation by the Treasury Select Committee after a systems crash. As you say, that was last Friday. Mm-hmm. This This is just sort of uh, fruit for the um, the politicians, isn't it? They drag everyone in front of the committee and then have a go at them. It's good entertainment for the for the rest of us who are sat there watching. It does seem to be like there is a either a work and pension select committee or a treasury select committee viewing each week. Almost, it's uh, yes, it's indeed. prime TV. It is coming to Netflix. Coming to, well, yeah, they should broadcast it online. Mm. Great way to segue into the next section, which is all about auto enrollment, because of course the Work and Pensions Select Committee has been keeping a uh, keen eye on all of those things. But we've had some new figures this week. Yes. Uh, so for listeners at home, I'll just sort of describe those. Um, uh, in short, the self-employed saving via auto enrollment uh, is at an all-time low. Um, the average amount paid into a pension by workers has fallen. Um, the annual amount now stands at £3,873 per eligible saver in the private sector. In addition to that, the number of self-employed saving into a pension is falling down to 14% from 30% only 10 years ago. And that's despite rising participation among all other groups. The gap between the pension participation rates of young and old people has narrowed significantly. 10 years ago, 31% of 22 to 29 year olds paid into a workplace pension, compared to 56% age 50 to state pension age. And now 77% of younger workers pay in compared to 82% of older workers. And just finally, the rate of pension savings persistency has fallen too. Uh, Persistency is measured by having uh, paid into a pension for at least three of the past four years. Um, So that's uh, a consistency issue. Mm -hmm. Um, So I just wanted to ask you, Rachel, auto-enrolment, 
uh, is it working as well as the politicians say it is? I think it is. I think as, as a first step, I think automatic enrolment has been a success. I think it's mm. done what it said on the tin. Yeah. It said what we're going to do is tackle the fact that all these people, especially the younger, this younger cohort between 22 and 29, they're not saving. We're going to get them saving and we're going to get them paying into a pension. And I think that's being borne out by the figures. Um, the reason that the average amount's gone down is because you just it, that's just numbers, that's just stats. Yeah. You've got more people in there, they're not paying as much, uh, the people who are, be, who are coming in, uh, and therefore the average figure is going to go down. So as far as automatic enrolment and the employed is concerned, I think it, it's worked as well as they wanted it to for the first step. I think what alarms me is that this isn't the end of the game. No. And I worry that there are some people and some politicians out there who's going, yeah, that's brilliant, that's fantastic, job done, let's tick the box, what's the next big problem we're going to worry about? Mm. And I don't think we are only one little bit into the automatic enrolment discussion. Mm. The contribution rates are really low and they are not going to get the sort of retirement that people want. Uh, and we need to increase the contribution rates. But exactly how we do it is, of course, the $64 million question. The 8% figure gets bounded about a lot mm. as, the, as the goal. Um, do you think it should be even higher than that? I think it should. I think if you want um, to replace your income, then you're going to need to save more. And although I am, I am admittedly self-confessed pensions geek, I love pensions. Mm. Very weird. Don't but, we hey, all. Absolutely. Don't we all. Um, but I don't really care how people save. If they want to save in ISAs or in property or in gold, <laughs> not Bitcoin, not Bitcoin. Definitely but, not Bitcoin. No. But however they want to save, that's fine with me. And I think that's what we should be encouraging. But we need to get them to start paying in for their later life in some way. And if it's going to be pensions, which are really tax efficient, good way of doing it, then let's do it with pensions. We need to increase the contribution rates, I think. And it's um, probably going to come out as trying to get employers to contribute more as well. Mm. And that's going to be a really, I know these are difficult conversations to have, but pensions aren't a, a, a short term thing. Um, we need to think about, you know, have these difficult conversations now or yeah. have the really, really tough conversations in 20 years time. Um, so we need to, I think, to, to tackle that. Um, the bit about the self-employed, I think, is uh, that's again is alarming. I think that, you know the the headline rate that it's gone down from thirty percent down to fourteen, but and I think there is a problem there, and I don't think enough self-employed are paying into their pension. But with the self-employed, again, it's what problem are you trying to tackle? Mm. The self-employed is a really big category. And the number of people now who are self-employed compared to 10 years ago is probably you know, quite extensively and significantly higher. So, and it covers a multitude of sins. It covers so many different types of people who are paying into a pension, um, oh, sorry, who are, who are working. And it's difficult, I think, to get all of those people mm. actually, you know, into- To catch them in the net. Yeah, it is. And some of them, um, I've, I've I'm coming from a, a, a point of experience here. I was self-employed for five years, and I know a lot of my friends at the time were self-employed as well. And there are a lot of people out there who are not earning very much money at all, and they're just getting by, and they're doing little bits of child-minding jobs, or they mm. are have a jewellery business on the side, or whatever. And you can categorise these people as 
you know, um, self-employed, but they have absolutely no cash available to pay yeah, into yeah. a pension. So you can say, oh, well, we failed them. They're part of the, these figures about amount of people going down. And yeah, maybe we have, but really, can they actually afford to to pay in anyway? I think that's a huge issue. Um, just anecdotally, I was talking to someone a couple of weeks ago uh, who's self-employed and um, in a t totally separate conversation that was not about auto enrolment. Don't worry, I don't talk about auto enrolment with my friends. Um, <laughs> he mentioned that he, he had uh, £140 in his current account. And there were, there were sort of other savings, sure, but to have £140 in your bank account with other overheads, you know, you, you need to run your business and buy food and all of that, it just kind of struck me that for him and no, no doubt for many, many other people in this country, um, paying into pension is going to be the last thing that he thinks mm. about at the end of the month. So it really is a crisis uh, that needs fixing if those people are going to end up with a retirement that isn't just uh, entirely staked upon the businesses that they grow or yeah. um, the property that they own. I mean, saying all that and, and recognising that there's so many diverse people in the self-employed bucket, you know, we can't uh, treat them all exactly the same. That there must be other things we can do to increase the, the amount of saving from the people. We need to just target it better and think. Yeah. I don't think having one policy to fit everyone is going to work because not everyone is in the, the same financial boat. Mm. But there must be a way that we can encourage the people who can afford to pay into the pension, even if they don't think they can afford to it, they can actually afford to do it yes. by prioritising it. I think there must be a way that we can encourage them and to nudge them into saving. Um, and I think maybe one of the things is a lot of the people who are self-employed now, they started off employed. Yeah. So they already know about pensions. They yeah. already know about automatic enrolment. It's already on their agenda now. It's on the horizon. They, they have had a period where they have been in a pension scheme. Um, and maybe there's a way that we can encourage people who then become self-employed at that point to make sure that they pay into a pension just as part of setting up their business. And mm. I, I don't know if you can do that when you, by government communications, for example, when you register your self-employed business, because obviously yeah. you have to write to HMRC and say, this is the name of my company, yeah. that maybe there's a, a, a point then where we can start to encourage and to nudge people into doing something. I wonder, this isn't me heaping further regulation on small, medium, large, uh, medium to large employers, um, but uh, is there some kind of duty that could be imposed on businesses to actually flag that? So if someone is leaving their job to go self-employed, that they actually have to have a kind of meeting with HR where HR say, well, you know, look, have you sorted this out? Um, and moreover, would you like some financial uh, guidance from uh, the relevant guidance body or even financial advice through some deal that the business has with a, you know, a local advisor or something? That doesn't strike me as a piece of infrastructure that's currently available for consistently across the... I don't think the, the employer has much emotional commitment to the person who's just about to walk off and take half their clients. No, but I mean, employers... Being a bit <laughs> facetious there, maybe, but, yeah, you know... No, no, that's a fair point, isn't Setting it? up in competition to them, they might not be. But em employers put people in pensions, um, you know, for the longer term. Like you say, pensions are longer term things. And uh, surely, surely an employer would think, well, this person might not be with us forever, but they're still going to need a, need a pension, so... I mean, I guess it depends if you if you leave your job acrimoniously, doesn't it? And how much goodwill there is there. But surely there's yeah. something more that, that can be done. I mean, you could extend that just generally. Um, I mean, what happens is when you become self-employed is you, you take on the role of having to manage 
or your finances. And I know that sounds absolutely obvious, but it's a role that maybe people haven't had to do. Yeah, it's a um, huge thing, isn't and it? And we often uh, moan about the lack of just personal budgeting. Yeah. So the fact that people have got to now got this new job where they're managing, or this new role where they're managing all of their budgeting, it doesn't necessarily mean if you are a well, web designer that you are absolutely fantastic as well as about managing the systems and yeah. all your records and knowing exactly what to claim for against expenses and all of that shenanigans. So I think there is, you know, maybe you could widen that out and say maybe there should just be more support for the self-employed generally. Yes. Because uh, if you can manage all that side better, yes. you create money, you know. And, that and therefore the that nudge. money could then just be put into your, yes. into your pension. And that could be the nudge that it's actually part of a wider play mm. on sort of money management. Very interesting. That's part of getting people into uh, pensions and getting them to pay on the self-employed side. Um, on the decumulation front, drawdown. That yes. is the thing at the moment, isn't it? There's it a is. lot of talk about drawdown, and it, it's something that has come to the forefront, partly as a result, I think, of um, pen, the pension freedoms. Um, as regards uh, auto-enrolment and to self-employed, perhaps, um, is drawdown really a, a disaster waiting to happen there? Because it strikes me that it's not particularly well understood um, from a consumer perspective. There's enormous risk involved. The, the, the need for advice is um, really, really clear. Um, what, what might happen with that? I think, again, it's, it's a difficult one to say categorically that there's just, there's just one solution or one, not solution, but maybe one outcome for sure. drawdown. Because again, it is, covers such a wide variety of people. 30% um, of people who enter drawdown now um, do it without advice. But the rest of them have advice and they're working with an advisor and you, you know, I believe that they're going to have a, they're going to have a good retirement and be mm. able to manage that, that flight path mm. down and to maybe be able to um, have sustainable income and to maybe make sure their income lasts their lifetime. So there are going to be some people out there for who pensions freedom is the best thing, it is the right solution for them, mm. and it's the right answer, and they are going to have a better financial retirement because of it. This is making no assumptions about anyone's age, but do you like the idea of the pension freedoms? Do you think that it's something that you would enjoy and use as a customer? <laughs> I am tempted now to say I'm not that old quite yet. I don't think I can retire just yet. Um, well, I'm never going to retire, so... No, no, unfortunately. <laughs> the, the more you know about the whole subject, the more you think it's, it's a far-off dream. Absolutely. Yeah, um, I think it is, actually. But I think that's, again, that maybe down to my personal situation. Um, maybe my personal attitude is I think I probably would use them. And, mm. yeah, I think I would do drawdown. But again, it's one of these subjects that I think the more you know about it, the more you realise you don't know. Hmm. What, the more you realise what you don't know, in a way. And I think it's very difficult to to come out with an absolute one solution. This is going to work for absolutely everybody, hundred percent of the time. And I think, in a way, we're all trying to chase that dream at the moment yeah. of the magic formula. Yes. And I just don't think don't there think is that there. magic formula is there. So we're kind of kidding ourselves if you know we think that we're chasing that we can sort of realistically chase that goal. That said, do you think that there's um, do you think there's more of a consensus that could be built around sustainable withdrawal rates? Because that's an enormous debate at the moment. Is you know how much is too much? How much is too risky? 
you know, is it, it, could, could we come to some basic agreement about what's good and what's bad, do you think? I think we can in, in broad terms. I, I, I resist very much, I think, the idea of coming out at 4% or mm-hmm. 3.05 or whatever the UK rate was. I, I, I worry about putting just a, a, a simple figure on it, I think. So I, I'm not sure that's the, that's the right answer. In a way, I think it's, when you're looking at income drawdown, um, the biggest factors seem to be how much growth you get within the first 10 years and how much you take out within the first 10 years. Mm. And I think maybe that's where the education is. It's not trying to find a sustainable growth rate where you say, I'm just going to take out 3.5% from here to eternity because A, that doesn't work for you for life because mm. your your income needs change and life changes and, and all the rest of it. So I don't think that really fits into life either. But it's also um, ignoring as well other suites of investments that you might have and, mm. and this idea that you would, is which wrapper do you use the first? And you would probably use ISAs before you would use pensions. So maybe you can use the first 10 years to, to have the, that sustainable growth rate and not mm. have as much withdrawals. And I think it's almost, instead of just boiling it down to a single figure and trying to make this easy, because I don't think it is that simple, and I don't think we should say it is that simple, is maybe looking at more some key key rules to follow. Yeah, key messages. Key messages, yeah, exactly, yeah. trying to, d- to do that and to, um, to achieve that. So such as, you know, if, if you remove too much from your fund in the first five, ten years, you could severely mm. uh, impact you know, your yeah. income in, in later life. Yeah, I think there's, but again, looking on that subject, there is, with this, I'm not too sure we can say it's a disaster waiting to happen because I think, as I said, it's going to work out wonderfully for some people. But I do think for others, it's not going to work out Mm. so well. And I think where we are um, as, um, as a profession looking at this and as well as the government and the regulators looking at this is we're just trying to get a better handle on exactly what's happening. Mm. And I think we will know a lot more in about, in a way this is a slow burner. You know, people say, oh, it's three years since pension freedoms. Is drawdown a success? Mm. And you go, well, we can't tell that now. We, yeah. it, this is going to take a little bit of time to play out and we just have to understand that and, and to work with that. So I think it's going to be interesting looking maybe in about five or six years' time mm. what's actually happened. Um, but looking at some of the indicators at the moment, I think probably one thing I did read was the Royal London stats that came out, which yeah. were so beautifully covered by CityWire. Stop it. <laughs> um, was this the ones where they looked at the, the drawdown behaviour? Mm, I think yeah, it was... Yeah, 17,000 people. 17,000 of their Yeah, customers. but it's something... Um, something like 80-90% of people were taking out more than 4% mm. and I thought that was maybe not the best stat to take out of current mm. behaviour. Well that's, that's interesting because I know for a fact that if you had Steve Webb in here, mm. Steve Webb would say well those people they have other forms of income and you know we don't know the full picture. Of course we don't, we um, absolutely don't and that's why using statistics and yes. headlines on one single rate is dangerous yes. but it you know they're still something about a group of people making 17,000 people making a certain decisions. Yeah, yeah, agree. That that did that did uh, that concerned me too actually. Um let's move on to uh reform because uh pensions and tax they're incredibly con, con um contentious when it comes to things like reform. Mm. There are lots of changes that people 
like to make to them. Do you have any personal kind of pension tax uh, gripes? Oh, For God. instance, you know, the lifetime allowance, the annual allowance. I've got loads of them. Um, tell me, tell me all. <laughs> they'll be here all day. <laughs> not a problem. Um, I think one of the... One of the ones which just came to light, not came to light, but was um, reinforced was uh, last week we got something from the Office of Tax Simplification, which I think is a great place, wonderful. And at the moment they're in looking at inheritance tax mm. and how they can simplify inheritance tax. I would add, though, that they do need to make their website simpler, and that's a request from NMA News Editor Charles Wormsley, who's infuriated every time he clicks on the website. Continue. Um, one of the things that they were doing was looking at savings income, and they were looking particularly at the um, how you pay lump sums from drawdown, and okay. yeah. and the taxation of that, which is one of these really subjects that makes you you know just want to go run off screaming, I think, or run, reach for the gin or whatever it happens to be. Yeah, um, but. It's, uh, they're paid by, the, the tax rate they use is, pay, is emergency tax code month one. And yeah. it's really, it's just leads to so many problems that, that you are sat there going, why do we do it like this? It just means that so many people overpay their tax. And it's not as if they don't get the money back. I'm not suggesting that. Mm. They have to fill in a form. If they fill in the form, HMRC say, we will give them their money back, usually within seven days. Mm. I, no idea if that's right or wrong. Um, but they say we will do it. And I'm sure they do it and they do it fairly briskly. And that's my understanding. But yeah. it's really, but yeah, but why do they have to do it? Yeah, in the first place. Why do they have to do yeah. it? It's a whole cottage industry built around either us trying to, uh, the clients and advisors trying to get the money back and HMRC actually having this money and, and paying it back out again. You know, they've got to have all the people there to sort all these forms out. and. Mm. Uh, you do wonder what is the point. It's needless complication, isn't it? It is a needless complication. You have to maybe imagine that the amount of money that they raise while it's just resting in their accounts is yes. sufficient to pay for this cottage industry. Yes. Any other reforms? Um, I would love to get rid of the um, the buddy rule. You know, this bit where you can only transfer and keep your higher tax free cash if you have a buddy, and I've no idea why that one's there. You're looking a little bit blank at that one. I've not heard about that. Have you not heard? Well, I'll edit that out. Oh, well. <laughs> 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 People before A-Day could get higher tax-free cash and um, they can only keep this higher tax-free cash if they transfer from, say, the pension scheme they are in to a nice new, brand new, shiny pension scheme and they can only keep it if they've got a friend that they can transfer with. I do know what you're talking about. And it's just such a ridiculous rule. It just would make everyone's life easier. I don't understand why that one's there. And then my third one would be lifetime allowance. Okay. The classic. The classic. I think that's because um, as part of my job at Nucleus, what I do is I spend um, lovely hours working at trying to explain complicated pensions, taxation aspects. And I can safely say that lifetime allowance and all the transitional protections we have is the bit that really takes up the most time. And you do get mm. a sense halfway through writing a fact sheet or doing a video on this that, you know, again, what is the point in all of this? Yes. It would be so much simpler if it was all just... Yeah, if it was just taken away. Abolished. Yeah, but I would imagine that too. And you have, there is a question of why it's there anyway when we have an annual allowance. Mm. Uh, but I have a feeling that the revenue may just lose too much money if the lifetime allowance was taken away. Fun questions, finally. Um, there were three people around the table, your dinner table for dinner. 
and they can be anyone in the world, dead or alive. Who are they, Rachel? Oh, fun questions. Um, first of all, Douglas Adams. Okay. I am oh, a massive Hitchhikers fan. I absolutely love it. Um, I think next would be Mick Aston. Um, Mick Aston was a historian. He was on okay. Time Team many years ago. But I love history as well, and I think I would just really like to sit down and chat history with someone. And then my next one is a little bit more controversial, and that would be Dave Brailsford. Uh, oh. Because I absolutely adore watching only the, uh, the Grand Tours, only the big cycling yeah. events, but I love watching them. And I just find the whole rise of Sky team and the whole rise of um, cycling in the UK I think that's a very, very interesting area. I, I must say, um, no doubt NMA's Will Robbins is listening to this thinking, I must have a chat with Rachel Vey because he is an avid cycling fan and I think has completed a couple of stages of the Tour de France. Well, you see, I am, I am an armchair fan, completely. Okay. There's I, nothing wrong with that. No lycra near me. Okay. <laughs> well, I'll tell him that. Um, <laughs> and just finally, uh, gather that you have kids. I do, I have Do kids. they have pensions? They don't. They don't? They don't. No, they don't. They do have savings and they have a, a geyser and things like that, but they don't have a pension. Will you be telling them to, to save into a pension when they're a bit older? Yes, but I think it's, it's an interesting question though because it's, it, it's what you learn from your parents and what habits you learn. And actually this whole area I think is, is quite in depth. This is because we are currently going through negotiations with my soon-to-be eight-year-old daughter about pocket money and she's never okay. received pocket money now, up to okay. now and now does she's she have realized. a crack negotiating team on her side <laughs> believe you me she does you you would not believe okay Pow powerpoints eight-year-old eight girls wow. they, they are they are the ones they should send in for the brexit negotiations make a note of that <laughs> yeah um so she is now debating exactly what chores she will do for what money but we are trying to say to her what will you do with the money and yeah. it's i think this is up to parents to try and teach the children good habits. Yeah. Actually, I think there's a big responsibility on parents to do that, um, you know, and to, and, and to learn from that. Um, personally, my, my parents were part of the, um, what's called the make, do, amend generation. Sure. So they were uh, where they lived through the war. Yeah. So they had a, a different attitude, I think, to maybe the generation that came after them, they were very much, you know, you do not get into debt, you do not buy anything on, on the drip, as it was known, you do not buy anything on HP, you do not do this. Mm. And I think actually it's those sort of things that you learn from your parents, which is really quite interesting. Mm. Fascinating. What a great place to end. Um, that's all we've got time for this week. My thanks to you, Rachel, for joining me. Great Thank to have you, you here. Um, join us again next week for another podcast where we'll be delving into the murky world of overseas advice. That's sure to be a cracker. If you're short of listening material in the meantime, though, don't forget to check out our back catalogue. That's on iTunes and indeed on SoundCloud as well. And if you like what we do, please leave us a lovely review. That would be much appreciated. Um, see you next week and thanks for listening. <laughs>